Short Rounds. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Unknown Soldiers podcast. I remain your host, James Hauser. What I've got for you today is another short round. If you don't know what these are, think of them as mini-episodes. 30 minutes or less, no breaks, no background music. Basically the length most podcasts already are anyway. But these short rounds allow me to deliver my usual high-quality content to you faster, as well as to deliver context and embellishment on certain things I think are super interesting from my bigger episodes. And that's what today's short round is about. This past Monday, I released Episode 6, The Last Crusade, about the epic siege of Malta between the Ottoman Empire and the Knights of St. John. Now, you don't have to listen to that episode before you listen to this, or vice versa. This short round stands on its own. What it does do is provide a bit more background than a group of soldiers called the Janissaries, which I think are one of history's most fascinating military units. They were the famous slave soldiers of the Ottoman Empire, and they were the heart and soul of its military for almost 500 years. And today, I'm going to talk all about the origins of the Janissaries, their rise to dominate the early modern battlefield, and their decline and fall. This is going to be a bit different than the other episodes you've heard so far, because this is less of a narrative or a story, and more about an institution and its evolution over almost 500 years of existence. It's about a military unit. But don't worry, if you're asking why you should care, you know what I'm going to say. You should care, and I'm going to tell you why. Let's start with the obvious question. Why would anyone think slaves would make good soldiers? Well, there's a complicated history behind this. Despite being possibly the most famous slave soldiers of all time, the Janissaries were part of a long-standing tradition of military units composed of slaves. And this tradition was pretty exclusive to the great Islamic empires of the Middle East and India. Starting in the 830s, under the Abbasid Caliphs of Baghdad, most Middle Eastern empires had a hard core of slave soldiers, usually called Ghulams or Mamelukes, at their disposal. These slaves, at least at first, were usually men of Turkish or steppe origin that had been captured during border wars or raids in Central Asia. There were lots of reasons why slave soldiers became a staple of early Islamic empires. For one thing, Ghulams were viewed as a counterweight to powerful noble or military families. You could trust your slaves, in theory, to have no outside loyalties, since they had no vested interest in a region or a territory. It was equally important to have a solid core of professional fighters at your disposal, in a period where standing armies weren't really much of a thing. And the Central Asian horse archer, where most of the Ghulams came from, was the ultimate fighter of his age. The problem with many slave soldier organizations was that they ended up being something like the Praetorian Guard in the Roman Empire. That is, an organization with interests of their own. In the Abbasid Caliphate, and then in the Fatimid Caliphate of Egypt, the Ghulams and Mamelukes ended up taking over the government. In Egypt, the Mamelukes straight up overthrew the Sultan in 1250 and ruled the country on their own for about 300 years. So that's how a bunch of white slaves of mostly Russian or Ukrainian origin ended up, um, ruling Egypt. Yeah, history's weird, right? So it wasn't unusual for an Islamic state like the Ottoman Empire to have slave soldiers, but the Janissaries would be different from every other slave soldier organization. 
In the late 1300s, just after the Black Death hit Europe, the Ottoman state began its gradual rise to power. When they conquered part of southeastern Europe, though, it was one of the first times in the medieval era that a European Christian population had fallen under the control of a Muslim ruler. Defeated Christian cities or states produced thousands of human captives for enslavement, and cavalry raids rounded up still more of the Balkan Christians. Just to get this out of the way, this is an enormous human tragedy. Thousands of human beings rounded up like cattle and destined for a life of servitude. It was horrible to imagine and experience, and it was shockingly common across the world in the 1300s. Just one of the many, many things that the modern age is a little bit better about. Yeah, maybe your internet doesn't work sometimes, but at least you're not being carried off into a life of slavery forever? Probably? According to Ottoman law, one-fifth of the slaves captured in war were supposed to be given directly to the sultan. Murad I, who reigned from 1362 to 1389, decided to do something special with this human tax. He decided to found one of those slave armies that had been all the rage for centuries. But Murad directed that only younger boys of about 10 to 11, not experienced soldiers, be the prime material for his new army. Rather than recruiting grown men to turn into soldiers, which was what most other empires did, Murad put together a system by which the young men could be molded. They would be educated in the Turkish language and culture, converted to Islam, and trained as elite infantrymen. Since this was the start of the Sultan's Standing Army, one of the first standing armies in medieval Europe, these soldiers received the title of Yeni Sadi, literally, New Soldier, or, as we know them, Janissaries. Only 30 years after the creation of the Janissary Corps, though, the recruitment system changed entirely. The big slave raids of the 1300s had ended, and a new system was needed. The Ottoman rulers ended up instituting the infamous system known as the Divesherme. This word means literally to collect. Under the Divesherme, the Ottoman state would conduct a mass conscription from the Christian families of Ottoman-ruled Europe. Each 40 families had to provide one young man of between 6 to 14 years of age to be taken into the Janissary service, and he would be inspected and approved by Ottoman officials before being whisked away, never to be seen again. By the 1500s, the Dive Shirme had become a very standardized and detailed governmental process, almost modern, even though corruption did factor into the recruitment, because it always does. Of course, this was not popular with the Christian families whose sons were being kidnapped and turned into soldiers of the Sultan. But oddly enough, some people not only did learn to live with it, but saw it as an opportunity for their sons to have a better life than they would in the drudgery and misery of peasant work in the Balkans. But it would be crazy to say this was common. Mothers and fathers loved their sons in the medieval era, just like any other era. And they didn't want them to be taken off to God knows where to lose their culture and traditions and never be seen again. But resisting the Sultan's orders was futile, and the dive shirme was rarely resisted. As many scholars have pointed out, the legal and religious rationale for the dive shirme and the forcible recruitment of the Janissaries was shaky at best. Islamic legal traditions are full of sanction for the enslavement of people captured in war. But Christians and Jews living under Islamic rulers are considered demi, or people of the book, and they aren't supposed to be enslaved. 
but the Ottomans found the dive shirame useful enough to continue its use in the face of official religious disapproval. So yeah, oddly enough, it was the Islamic religious leaders who regarded the dive shirame as a violation of the Christian population's rights, and the sultan who found it too useful to get rid of. So what was the process to become a Janissary? How did you become a Janissary? Well, the dive shirame probably recruited about 1,000 to 3,000 young Christian men a year, aged between 8 and 20, almost all from rural peasant families. Families with only one son were left alone, and the big cities were usually untouched. The main recruiting grounds for the dive shirame were the Ottoman-ruled majority Christian lands of southeastern Europe, modern-day Greece, Bulgaria, Serbia, Albania, etc. There were some groups the Ottomans avoided. Russians, Romani travelers, and Persians were viewed as untrustworthy, and Jews were considered to be under special protection by the Ottoman Sultan as a commercial class, because it just wouldn't be slavery without weird racial groups and hangups to go along with it. Racism and slavery go together like peanut butter and chocolate. Once the whole conscription-slash-slavery thing was out of the way, the Janissary system was extremely bureaucratized and modern for its time. The young men would be brought to the Sultan's palace complex in Constantinople and given a series of physical and mental examinations. These tests separated the unwilling recruits into two categories, the Ich Olan, or Inner Service Boys, and the Ajemi Olan, or Foreign Boys. The Ich Olan were the smart kids. You might call them the gifted kids, and they were destined for better things. They ended up at palace schools studying literature, Islamic law, poetry, basically be given a noble's education. At the end of two to seven years of training, they would be tested again. The best of them would pass to the sultan's court, while the remainder would join the Kapikulu Cavalry, the elite Ottoman cavalry regiment. As for the Ajemi Olan, these were the kids that went to shop class. That is, they became the Janissaries. Their education from a very early age was focused on obedience, discipline, and drill. First, they were sent to work on Turkish farms where they learned Turkish language, basic commands, the tenets of Islam. After working on the farms for five to seven years to toughen them up, they would go to the Ajimi Ojak, or training corps, where they would receive their military training. The best of them would be separated into the armorer corps, the gunner corps, or the engineer corps. The majority, though, lived in barracks and trained as Janissary infantrymen. This training lasted at least six years. Discipline was strict, conditions were tough, female company was forbidden, and military drill and weapons practice were conducted daily. The Janissaries were originally trained as highly skilled archers and swordsmen, but by the 15th century, a growing number were being trained in the harquebus musket. They were drilled in target practice and precision shooting, in contrast to the European musketeer of the time, who was built for rapidity of fire rather than accuracy. The Janissaries trained dedicated marksmen and sharpshooters, and Janissary snipers would kill many an enemy officer during their golden age. It would be these gunpowder Janissaries that helped to transform the Ottoman war machine into a borderline unstoppable force in the 1500s. When the Janissaries graduated from the training camps, they would join one of the Ortas, or the Janissary regiments. The Orta became the Janissary's family. He lived, ate, slept, fought, and died with them. One of the odd themes of Janissary organization was its symbology. 
everything seemed to revolve around cooking somehow, including the Orda's sacred cooking cauldron, the Kazani Sarif, which weirdly functioned as kind of like a unit mascot. You want to have a party, you roll out the cauldron. Who are we? We're cauldron number 29, much better than cauldron number 30 or cauldron number 28. The Janissary ration of cracked wheat and butter was cooked each morning in the Kazan, and they carried it around. That was their meal of the day. So yeah, the Janissaries loved grits as much as any Alabama boy, because that's basically what that is. The unit cohesion of a Janissary Orta was extremely strong. These were men with a shared background and bond who depended on each other for survival, who were proud of their units and bore an undying allegiance to the Sultan. They were forbidden to marry or have families. And to die in battle, of course, was to go to paradise. This made a uniquely committed set of soldiers for the service of the Ottoman Empire. But on top of all this hard training and institutional separation, which produced a very cohesive and dedicated group of soldiers, the Janissaries were also unique in Europe for more practical reasons. The Janissaries were the first permanent infantry regiments to fight on European soil since the Roman legions. Each Orta had its own battle records and heraldry and tradition, including that wonderful little cooking cauldron. And this would not be replicated in European armies for another couple of centuries. Even the United States Army of the 21st century follows a lot of the same standards and practices and traditions and heraldry originally adopted, the same concept originally adopted by the Janissaries. Uniquely among military units in the 1500s, the Janissaries wore distinctive uniforms with ranks and insignia, marched in formation. They had a dedicated supply and maintenance support system. The Janissaries functioned like a modern army. They were even paid regular wages, which they presumably used to go get drunk and buy Ford Mustangs and cans of dip, just like modern infantrymen. The Janissaries even have a place in musical history. The Janissary infantry moved in formation to the first march in music, the famous percussion-heavy Turkish marches from which all other military marches are ultimately derived. Seriously, European military bands were inspired by the Janissary marching bands. That was where they got the idea. Austrian and Prussian and Russian bands heard the Ottoman bands and like, huh, that's actually a really good idea. We should do that. You can trace a direct line from the Ottoman Janissaries to the fife and drums of the American Revolution to John Philip Sousa to your high school football game halftime show. That is where the tradition began. Of course, the Janissaries were only one part of the Kapikulu Corps, the Sultan's standing army. The other units had also been recruited through the Dive Shirme, and I described them above. The Kapikulu Heavy Cavalry, the Engineers, Artillery, the Armorers. While these guys weren't part of the infantry Ortas, they were still technically Janissaries, and together they made up the hard core of any Sultan's army. So how did they do? How did the Janissaries perform? Well, in their heyday, they were excellent. The Janissaries were easily the most feared and most important part of any Ottoman army. I already covered the critical role they played in the Siege of Malta on Monday, but they were present on every Ottoman battlefield. The Janissaries formed the final storming party when the Ottomans took Constantinople in 1453. They stood at the center of the Sultan's battle line in victories like Varna 1444, Mohach 1526, Kerestes 1596. 
The concentrated musket fire of the Janissaries shattered the Mameluke cavalry at Marge de Beek in 1516, allowing the Ottoman Sultan to conquer Egypt and assume the title of Caliph. Their siege engineers and artillery captured dozens of cities, like Rhodes, 1522, Budapest, 1541, Baghdad, 1639, and only rarely did they fail, such as before the gates of Vienna in 1529 and Malta in 1565. Janissary combat performance was almost always superb, especially compared to other foot soldiers of their time. The only infantry of the 1500s that really came close were the Spanish Terquios, but they were never as numerous and individually skilled as the Janissaries, who had been trained since they were boys in military discipline, martial arts, and combat tactics. As the need for disciplined infantry grew in the age of gunpowder, then, the Janissary Corps began to expand. Initially, the Janissaries only formed a single regiment, but as the Ottoman Empire's borders grew, the corps grew with them out of necessity. From a strength of 1,000 in the 1300s when they had been founded, they numbered around 6,000 in the 1400s. It was under Suleiman the Magnificent, of course, reigned 1520 to 1566, that the Janissaries swelled to huge numbers, numbering almost 14,000 just before his death in 1566. By 1609, the Janissaries were about 40,000 strong, and that number would stay pretty constant for quite a while. But the expansion of the Janissary Corps came at a price. We've talked about the Janissaries' rise and their golden age, but now it's time to discuss the fall. When Suleiman the Magnificent died in 1566, his favorite son took the throne as Selim II. Selim II is fondly and wonderfully remembered as Selim the Sot or Selim the Drunkard, which when your dad is called the Magnificent is not a great sign for the survival of your dynasty, man. One of Selim's first moves on taking the throne was to give the Janissaries, for the first time, permission to marry and raise families. Only a few years later, in 1582, another sultan officially allowed the Muslim sons of Janissaries, and eventually the sons of notable Muslims unrelated to the Janissaries at all, to enlist in the Janissary Corps. By 1594, any old Ottoman subjects could be recruited into the corps. The slave system that they had going on for so long, the Daif Shirme, was gone. The Ottoman sultans did this because, surprisingly, people wanted into the Janissary Corps. Why? Why Why would someone want to be a slave soldier? The same reason that a small number of Christian families in the Balkans encouraged their sons to be Janissaries. It was a ticket to wealth and power if you played your cards right. Janissaries from the Ich Olan often ended up being governors, administrators, or generals, and even regular old Janissary foot soldiers could expect a solid pension and a plot of land when they retired. Every single Ottoman Grand Vizier from the 1400s to the 1600s, basically every Prime Minister the Ottoman Sultans had, had been a Janissary. It had gotten good to be a Janissary, and the rest of the Ottoman ruling elite wanted in. Even former Janissaries, who were now allowed to raise families, wanted their sons to follow in their footsteps to ensure the family line and family wealth would continue. So you're picking up what I'm putting down, right? With these reforms of the 1570s and 1580s, and the gradual accumulation of power in the hands of a small military elite, the Janissaries became a class, a caste, a deep state, if you will. 
And this major change in the structure of the Janus series had long-term implications for the future. For one thing, the Daivshirme was basically obsolete. Now that a bunch of Ottoman Muslims were joining the Corps, there was little need for forcible recruitment of the Christian population. No one needed to do that anymore. By the 1650s, the Daivshirme was effectively cancelled. It was never officially gotten rid of, like the modern draft, but no one was using it. For almost the next two centuries, the Janissaries, history's most famous slave soldiers, weren't really slave soldiers at all anymore. But more importantly for the health of the Ottoman government, the Janissary Corps was turning into the real center of power in Constantinople. In 1622, after an Ottoman defeat by the Polish, Sultan Osman II blamed the defeat on the Janissaries and tried to disband them. He believed that the army needed to modernize in order to confront the Western powers, and the Janissaries stood in the way. Huh, well, we can't have that, can we? The Janissaries overthrew Osman II, killed him, and replaced him with his uncle. Oh, that's a bad sign, isn't it? That's not good. See, the new Janissary Corps was not like the old Janissary Corps. Now it held the levers of power. It assumed a dynastic status, with the sons of Janissaries becoming the new Janissaries, and it removed any sultan that tried to take away its privileges and high positions. Granted, this transformation didn't happen overnight. There were still able Janissary commanders and able Janissary soldiers, and they still fought reasonably well. Even in the great Ottoman defeat at Vienna in 1683, the Janissaries were still the most powerful and disciplined force in the Ottoman army, still feared, but their decline began to accelerate after that defeat, along with the borders of the Ottoman Empire beginning to shrink. The Janissaries began to lose their fighting edge, refusing to take the field when they didn't want to, and absorbing an enormous amount of bribery and corruption. Any sultan that tried to do away with them ended up deposed and probably murdered. The worst part of it all was that they became increasingly ineffective on the battlefield, and that had been their only job. By the 1700s, the Ottoman Empire was suffering defeats by European foes that, once upon a time, it would have chewed up and spit out. European armies had modernized and reformed their militaries. In effect, they had built Janissaries of their own, minus the slavery. They now had regular standing armies, like the Janissaries, just no slavery. They had upgraded, but the Janissaries had not. And they increasingly stood in the way of military reform and progress, which meant that the, Euro the Ottomans kept slipping behind their European rivals. The Janissaries were still making war like it was 1650, which was awesome in 1650, but not so awesome by, say, 1800. They had been the most modern and innovative military force in the world back in their golden age, but by the 1800s, the Janissaries were increasingly decadent, archaic, out of step, and obsolete. The final sign that the Janissaries had gone too far came when Sultan Selim III tried to modernize his army in the European style. Since the Janissaries couldn't be reformed, that was a lost cause, Selim III tried to build a new army, the Nizami Sadid, that would fight like the forces of Selim's hero Napoleon, who was conquering Europe at this time period. But the Janissaries objected even to this, even to building a new army, even if they didn't mess with the old army, and they overthrew Selim III in 1807. This made it clear to the Ottoman ruling class and the Ottoman sultans that their soldiers were not only ineffective, but an active opponent of modernization and progress in the empire. They were a threat to the empire's survival. 
The new Ottoman Sultan, Mahmud II, carefully built his power base over the next two decades, cautiously watching the Janissary threat. By now, the corps had swollen to about 135,000 men, three times its size back in the 1600s, most of whom weren't even fighting soldiers, all of whom were ineffective and opposed any reform. As Mahmud laid his plans and wove his webs, the Janissaries continued their drunken, corrupt existence. On June 15, 1826, Mahmud publicly announced that he would begin forming a new army on European lines in opposition to the Janissaries. Like clockwork, angry Janissaries poured out of their barracks and marched on the Sultan's palace. But suddenly, they were met by organized opposition. Mahmud brought out the holy banner of the Prophet Muhammad to rally faithful Muslims to his cause, and carefully placed artillery at the Topkapi Palace blasted the Janissaries apart. It was a trap. Mahmud had been expecting them to do exactly what they did, and he was ready. The Janissary barracks were set on fire, and thousands of the corps' soldiers burned in the fire or were killed on the streets of Constantinople. Mahmud II had the last of the Janissaries hunted down. Many fled and their property was confiscated. Those the Sultan managed to capture were put to death by the end of 1826. The Sultan's coup against the Janissaries has gone down in history as the auspicious incident. The Janissary Corps was destroyed. They had lasted for almost four and a half centuries, even if the Janissaries of 1826 were no longer anything like the Janissaries of 1566. It was the end of a military division that had once been the pride of the empire and the terror of Europe. So that's the story of the Janissaries. If there's a lesson to be drawn from this, it's probably not very family-friendly. Um, maybe if you create an elite slave army, don't give them control of your entire government and then remove all the restrictions that made them an elite slave army and kept them from being a privileged military class. Or, crazy idea, maybe don't create a slave army in the first place. But even if they were slave soldiers, which was only really the case for about half of their existence, if you ever time travel back to the 1500s, and somebody tells you you're going to be fighting the Janissaries, run. Run in the other direction, and don't stop. Thanks a bunch for listening to me today. If you learned anything, hopefully it's that you shouldn't enslave people, man. Not just because it's wrong, though it is, but because it's going to backfire on you eventually. If you want to give feedback or get in touch, check my website, leave a comment at unknownsoldierspodcast.com, or find me on Facebook or on Twitter at UNKSoldiersPod. You can email me at unknownsoldierspodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support in other ways, you can find a donate button there as well. You can also find me on Facebook or on Twitter at UNKSoldiersPod. You can even email me at unknownsoldierspodcast at gmail.com. I want feedback like nothing else, so feel free to share any thoughts, even if it's just kind words. And on Monday, don't forget, we're going back to the Mediterranean to watch the United States Navy earn its laurels on the shores of Tripoli, as long as it doesn't cost too much money. See you then on Unknown Soldiers.